All right, so welcome back to episode number 46, No Cap Sports Podcast, man. Josh, go on and get us started with that fire, man. I appreciate you, Nick. Uh, you know, first of all, I got to shout out, you know, my Melrose Wildcat. You know, shout out to my grandma. She just, you know, started kicking it with God. So, we, uh, we do a lot of stuff around that. But, irregardless, uh, DMX is in a lot of trouble. And there's been a lot of misinformation and speculation going on. So, TMZ reported less than two hours ago that he's, quote, in a vegetative state. He has been on and off life support. So, uh, I guess I guess that decision has to be made for him at some point. But uh, the crazy thing, like uh, Van said right before we started, his manager was fed some bad information, and that was what got leaked, you know, the social media and all that. A big spiral with uh, the DMX. When I say DMX, what's the first thing that I think of? Because he's not really, you know, not not relevant, but he's just not making a, a ton of music currently. So what do y'all think about when y'all think of the DMX? Childhood, bro. That, that makes me, like, think of, like, the little battle era, like a uh, young little Wayne era, bro. Like right before T.I. started popping, bro. He was literally in that era. He can't, he carried the early 2000s. Nah, for real. Rough Riders, all that stuff. You know, yeah. you see the little clips on Twitter, how many, you know, the concerts and things like that back in, I mean, early 2000s, I guess the golden age of hip hop, really, for a lot of artists. So it's just sad that, uh, he got addicted. He was he's been addicted to drugs this whole time because somebody you know that he was influenced by. So, but what you what you guys say, Nick? I was about to say, you know, like whenever somebody says DMX, bro, the first thing I think about is that concert. I can't remember what concert it was, but it literally it seemed like the whole world was there, bro. It came out with <laughs> all the red overalls, you know, performing the Rough Rider anthem, bro. Like that's always like you say DMX, bro. That's what you think about. And that just shows you, you know, like the profound impact he had not only on hip hop but on the world overall. Exactly. So uh yeah, prayers over DMX. Monday night, I know we all watched it. National championship game between Baylor and Gonzaga. I gotta hand it to Vance, you know, predicted the winner correctly. He only said they went by three though. And I think that game took us all by surprise. You know, Baylor ends up winning 86 to 70, really dominating uh, Gonzaga. But for this conversation, I want to start out by talking about Gonzaga and talking about that game versus UCLA in the Final Four game. They won 93 to 90. So do you guys think that that's one of the greatest games in college basketball history? And if so, oh, where would y'all rank it? It is the greatest game in college basketball history. So, you, got, you know, you got all the good games. It's been a lot of great games, you know, buzzer beaters, this and that, but this game was so high. It was a bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket. They going at Suggs and uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, Juzane. They going at it. They going back and forth, back and forth. You got the two bigs, Timmy and uh, the big for Waquez Jr. for UCLA. Oh my goodness, bro! It was, uh, it was a great game, bro. The stars were made definitely. Yeah, I say the same thing, you know, it, especially when everybody has the same reaction after you know a game like that. I definitely. They did classify as an instant classic. You know, like you said, high scoring, 93-90. Uh, UCLA came into the tournament on a four-game losing streak. And for them, you know, to come out of this, like you said, producing stars, it was in the scene to go up against a Gonzaga team that, I guess, seemed, uh, seemed undefeatable, but unstoppable when they played them. So, uh, I guess, really, it was it, it was an instant classic, but I guess it should have been signed a thing to come or not looking in hindsight 2020. I find it interesting that you say it's a sign of things to come because, you know, you play a, a overtime game, not only an overtime game, but a highly emotional game like that in the Final Four. Then you come into the national championship. Do you think, like, fatigue or, like, 
the layover from that game kind of impacted Gonzaga's performance in that national championship game. Bro, the, 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 that was going to happen regardless. I don't care if, if uh, Gonzaga played three back-to-backs, bro. That game was going to be a, a ass whooping. That's, that's period point blank, bro. The closest game Baylor played was nine points in this whole tournament. Think about it. Yeah. Nine points. They win it by double – on average, by 13 points every game, bro. Baylor was going to do them dirty regardless. They were the best team in the country, and that's why they won. But, I mean, adding on to that, bro, like you say, Baylor, the closest game they played was nine points, bro. Gonzaga, every game they played this year, bro, they won by double digits, all games except for two. And that was the win over UCLA, and the other one was their victory over BYU. Every game they won this season was by double digits except for those two, bro. So you say that, you know, Baylor kind of took care of business, but Gonzaga did that too. So now talking about the game, what were y'all's initial takeaways from that game, bro? Because I think it's a game that nobody really saw coming in that fashion. Mm, Baylor lives with the football team. The way they <laughs> it, bro, oh my God, bro. That first half was ridiculous. They probably out-rebound them by how many? Probably about 10, 10 plus. They had 10 off of the rebounds, and then with Gonzaga had nine total they, they They definitely punked them boys out, bro. It was – it wasn't even – as close as it was, it was a 10-point game. It felt like a Baylor was up by 25 at halftime. Hey, facts, bro. Because the guys like had one on that mini run to close it 210 at halftime. But oh my. It, it was just ugly, bro. Because, like, you just look at Baylor, brother, three guards, Butler, Mitchell, and T, bro. Gonzaga had no answer for either one of them, bro. And I think, no. like, watching this game, bro, like, Baylor dominated from the jump, you know, jumping out to 16 to four, bro. And I think that's really because of their head coach, Scott Drew, bro. He really outcoached Mark Few this game, bro. Like, that was one of the things I noticed off rip. Like, Mark Few tried to play zone to stop, you know, all the outside shooting and dribble drive penetration. Well, guess what uh, Scott Drew does? He puts Maceo T in the middle. He scores seven straight points from the mid-range of free throw extended area. Okay, cool. So, you try to go back to man. They just let that dribble drive work. Uh, the three guards, like I said, Butler, Mitchell, and Teague attacked the basket, found created shots, found open teammates, just got that offense going. And then for Mark Few on offense, they started to get some momentum going. Of course, you know, they had their big three and Jalen Suggs, Kispert, and Drew Timmy. So guess what uh, Scott Drew does to counteract that? He uses those three centers, throws them all out there, lets them get their run. You know, since he got three centers, they can all foul. And, and one of them ended up fouling out. But I think that Scott Drew really came into this game with a solid plan, executed it well. But um, I would say over – I mean, I would coach it a stretch. I just feel like more was a, a matchup issue that uh, – I mean, here's the end of the day. Baylor came out five and five and three. I mean, you – I mean, I guess closing out better is an option. But there was nothing really good. Uh, Mark Few, Jalen Suggs, anybody from Baylor's – Gonzaga's team could do about that. They shoot seven for 12. That's 60% from the three in the first half. That's you. You hope that's. I mean, that's abnormal. You're not. That's not a, a sustainable percentage. What I'm trying to say. So that's a. That's the first thing you shoot, especially in today's era when you know three ball controls the game. Shooting that well from three, you know, that's something that a team is going. It's going to be pretty hard to them out. Um, I think Jalen. I don't think Jalen Suggs really struggled in the first half. I think that Davion Mitchell did a, a really a good a better job of him than a lot of people predicted. Um, he was beat twelve player of the year for a reason. And uh, I think he, de- I think he definitely solidified himself as a lottery pick at that level, But um, 
yeah, I don't think that the only plus defender that, that Gonzaga had was Sug. And I just don't think that it was as big of a problem up until this game. I mean, like, well, who was the best guard that Gonzaga even played before now? Gonzaga? Uh, we I mean, like he was a Kentucky reject. At the beginning, though, it just they haven't played anybody once they got in conference uh, play. That's the thing. But I mean, then again, they still play. The talent, who you play, does not matter, bro. It's just about. I think they just got lost to a better team. They should have okay, played. Uh, Baylor, Baylor's play can't cut him three times. Gonzaga hasn't played nobody to that type of effect. You know, you go into it, especially you going to a comment like the WCC. You're you're going to expect to win every night. They're not playing anybody any game changer. They're not playing anybody that's really going to prepare them for the tournament, honestly. So I, I mean, Gonzaga's nice, but I mean, he, I don't think he's a lottery pick. He doesn't jump on. He, is he how much better is he than somebody like Alonzo Trier? So I feel like looking at somebody like Jazanga, who did who UCLA's main guy, but it's just not an off the charts NBA prospect. Him having him having said the way the way he did against Gonzaga should have told us Baylor was gonna go off the way they did. Mm. All right, so December fifth, Gonzaga was supposed to play Baylor. Yeah, if he would have played that game, do you think uh, the the outcome of this game would have been different? Not at all. I think the outcome would have been the same, and I think Gonzaga would have came into the tournament with a loss on their record. Baylor did have those COVID issues early in the year. Maybe that would have kind of spared Gonzaga because that's the reason why the game was canceled, because of Baylor's COVID issues. But I think in the end, especially when Baylor started picking up steam, you know, through the Big 12 tournament and into the NCAA tournament, I think the same result would have happened because this Baylor team is, in my opinion, legit. Mm -hmm. Talking about Gonzaga's, like, previous games this season, bro, even though they're in the WCC, they played a number of tournament teams throughout the regular season. You look at Virginia, you look at Iowa, West Virginia, all these were games that that, uh, Gonzaga played and won en route to undefeated record and the NCAA tournament appearance. So I think it's fair to say, you know, of course, the WCC, you expect to win every night. But they kind of got battle-tested throughout the regular season, playing some, you know, blue-blood programs and getting those wins. But I just think this Baylor team was, hands down, a better team, like Van said. Like, there's nothing you can do. Because their big three definitely outplayed Gonzaga's big three of Timmy, Kispert, and Suggs, and that's no question. And so, moving on, are you more impressed by Baylor or are you more disappointed by Gonzaga? Talking about a Gonzaga team that had a chance to go undefeated on the whole season, looking for their first national championship in program history, and have won all games except for two by double digits all year. I, de- I, de- I definitely got to say I was more impressed by uh by Baylor. You know, you got got two, you got three transfers. ACLT comes from a, a big South program. Uh, Jet Butler and David Mitchell both come from a P five programs. Bay, Alabama and uh, Auburn, but uh, I don't. I guess. I mean, we all saw the do the Big Twelve do the conference champion tar, conference tournament, even up to the uh, you know, the the tur- NCAA tournament. But I just, I guess that people, not enough people were paying attention, not enough people were really locked in into this game. I mean, you have Jalen Suggs, a uh, certified bona fide top five pick, and to see that Davion Mitchell was able to, you know, not only Davion Mitchell but all of the Baylor guard really were able to get physical and bother him in ways that I mean, nobody had did before this game was impressive and opened a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that, Josh. Uh, Looking at Baylor, man, they came out attacking Gonzaga, and I think that was really the difference in the game. Not only did they attack them on defense, they also attacked the offensive glass. And, you know, 
that led to a lot of easy buckets early in the game as they opened up that 16 to 4 lead. And I'm ta- talking about Baylor some more, bro. They led for double digits for all but 90 seconds of the game, bro. Was and you ain't been losing by double digits for that long in this season. Exactly, bro. That's crazy, really? bro. That's crazy to think about, bro. And so, like, like you said, Josh, I'm more impressed by this Baylor team. You look at Jared Butler, 22 points. First player since uh, Melo did it in 2003 to have 20-plus points and seven assists in a national championship game. Davion Mitchell comes in, 15 points, five assists. Macy O.T., 19 points, and he was a big key in that game. Like I said, in seven consecutive points when Gonzaga tried to play zone. These three guys really came in and got the job done. And shout out to those bigs who protected the rim and really kept Drew Timmy on lock. Mm, I like I like with the way oh, – I don't want it to be a sweep and say we all impressed by Baylor. But I, I'm going to have to do it, bro. It's just – it's one of those things. It's just like in, in football, bro. It's like when a group of five team is undefeated and they think they can compete with Alabama. It's like, come on, bro. Like, let's come back to reality. <laughs> like, I'm, Baylor, you know, they, they got – they had four guards scoring double digits. Four guards. And compared to Gonzaga, I mean, they had – they big three did their thing. Uh, Suggs, he uh, he went over his uh, average for points per game. Kispert and Timmy, they didn't uh, do what they were supposed to do. Timmy and Suggs were actually in foul trouble in that first half. Uh, Drew Timmy uh, only had 12 points on five for seven shooting. But I think that's what goes a lot towards the way the pace of the game was going, bro. Yeah. Owning him. But it wasn't really his fault. It was they were getting the switches that they needed. So they were drawing Timmy away from the uh, away from the goal when it was time to get a rebound. You got six, eight, six, nine, six, ten guys over there crashing the boards, you slowing the game down. He didn't get his shots in because they didn't get that rebound. And they just played the better – they had the better game plan and the better players, honestly. If they played a seven-game series, Baylor would win in four, maybe five. Clean sweep, bro. Because the defensive intensity they brought, bro, like watching the game, Gonzaga had to work for every shot they got, bro. Like they had to really work, bro. I'm talking late in the shot clocks type thing, bro. I got to hand it to them, bro. The only thing I'll say is if they played a seven-game series, I don't think that Baylor shoot the way they did like that for the four games consecutively. They're going to rebound the way they did, though. There's a reason why Butler, David, I mentioned, there's just not automatic top ten guys. I mean, Jared Butler, he came from uh, – he came – I mean, David, I mentioned, came off the bench at Auburn. He wasn't shooting. He, he – he, the thing is his shoot percentage really jumped this year. So, I mean, he was he's always been able to play defense. But for him, Butler, makes OT, all those guys to shoot like that, in the biggest game of their lives, I mean, I congrats to them. But if they played a seven game, I don't think – man, you think they'll shoot five for five in the first half every game? I think they'll in every game. I think they'll get ten more shots then. Right, Timmy looked a little frustrated. Kisper didn't really shoot his best. Suggs obviously didn't play as well. I mean, if you want to say Baylor's a lot better than I have no problem with that. But they shot the ball really well. Um they made their shot the ball better. Baylor shot 44% from the field. Gonzaga shot 51%. Back. I mean, I'm just saying, bro, you can say that Baylor's not going to shoot like that again. But the big thing with that Baylor team is the fact that those guards were able to create their own shot. It wasn't the fact that they were just catching and shooting threes. It was the fact that they were able to create their own shot. And they were able to create room to shoot threes because they were blowing by Gonzaga defenders all day, too. How about this? I like I like all three of them, Macy O.T., Jared Butler, and David Bishop. But I, here's I can say this, and I think I, I'm pretty sure I'll be right. 
all three of those guys were better college players than Jalen Suggs. But I think Jalen Suggs would be the better NBA player out of those four guys. I mean, I mean I think- he was the best player in the game yesterday, if we keep him in the stack. No. I mean, he was the best like- player in the game yesterday? Suggs. He was, him and Butler were going head to head. It was the rest of the players that was uh, deciding the fate of the game. I mean, I don't think it's fair to call Suggs the best player in that game yesterday because he had those two early fouls. I give him that, bro. But he did not score until there was, what, six minutes left in the first quarter? And he didn't get his first oh, field throw. goal until it was five minutes left in the first quarter, bro. Yes, he finished with 22, bro. But a lot of those 22 were, let's just say, yeah, like he almost came back. Baylor was up. Baylor was up. 19, 20, 16, 17 most of the heaven. They closed on them to, to keep it within team. They cut they cut it down to nine, and then uh, Baylor went on an eight or run like that, and that just ended yeah. the game. They went on a 15-4 run, bro, to close it out and push the lead back to 20, bro. But, so, all right, so, I mean, if you replace Suggs and Butler, if they switch teams, I think it would be the same outcome. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Suggs was the best player on that court yesterday. Mm, definitely I, not. Thanks. I'm not going to argue with that, bro. But now that you said that, bro, I kind of want to kind of shift this conversation and talk about, you know, we saw the performances of Suggs, of Timmy, and of Kispert in the national championship game. So how do you think that game affects each player's draft stock as we look towards the uh, NBA draft coming up soon? Uh, the game is already was already not NBA-friendly. Um, he doesn't block a lot of shots. He doesn't rebound the ball. He doesn't just rebound the ball that efficiently. So... I think they kind of really start to find themselves as a, a not an NBA big, if you feel what I'm saying. It just – the physicality, the way that Baylor uh, bothered him, his inability to really do something, anything outside of, outside of the high post or in the low post, uh, it kind of really certified him as a, somebody who's going to be a good college player but not a, not a pro guy. Not the NBA guy. He might make some money overseas. That's facts. That's facts. I think he does have nice footwork, but without the ability to shoot and the ability to really defend in the paint, I don't think he's a – He's definitely not a first-round guy. He might be a late second-round guy just because of the way he kind of dominated the college game. But I can't see him turning into a, a NBA star, if you get what I'm saying. Mm, I'm I'm not going to disrespect. Uh, he, he could be a role player in the NBA. I could definitely see him making $10 million a year, honestly. And then once he becomes a vet, making a vet. Man, Bismarck Bill is still in the NBA, bro. So like, it, but he blocks shots and gets rebounds. You know what I'm saying, think about it. even though he's an undersized center, he blocks shots and gets. You Timmy gets buckets, bro. Come on, well, that's not. If he was, if he was seven foot, he would be Tim Duncan. That's fair, bro. I, I mean, I'm not gonna argue with it. The footwork is there, bro. Yeah, the footwork is definitely there, bro. The rim because protection and rebounding is not though. What are you? If doing? he was seven foot, it would be. But he's not that strong with problem. He's 16. I mean, what's that, two inches? Bro, he still got – I mean, I, think, I don't think he's going to go to the league. I think he's going to come back. You just – you just, hold on, bro. You just said he was two in the college, he'll be two dunks. I'm yeah. not over that. Yeah. No, definitely not. I see he got Duncan-like footwork. <laughs> exactly. Whatever. In the post on offense, he has Duncan-like footwork, bro. He probably got Duncan-like off-court swag, too, bro. I can see him pulling up in some bad things, bro. Yeah, bro. You can't let nobody with a mustache like that win the, win the natty, bro. <laughs> so talking about these two other guys, but Cody Kispert, a guy that, you know, had a lot of hype uh, behind his name in terms of NBA selection. How do you guys feel about his potential in the NBA after seeing this game? Mm, if you want to have a niche in the NBA, I think he should take the Kyle Corver route. 
but if he wants to like, you know, I mean, you know, just be a catch and shoot guy coming off the curls, the screens, letting this, letting it, letting it rain, bro. That'd be his his best way to to pop off. I mean, yeah, Kyle Corbett, Joe Harris, you know, this this three point the the corner specialist that type role, the Desmond Bain role. I mean, he, I mean, he capable of uh, feeling that. We'll see is how high he'll go. I mean, he shot 40 percent with three years in Gonzaga, so he's gonna be able to shoot the basketball. It'll just be able to see. It'll be interesting to see how high a pure specialist like that can go in the draft. Facts, facts. And so, last question about these three Gonzaga guys. We've seen Jalen Suggs. We've seen Kay Cunningham. Which one would you rather have? Uh, give me Kay Cunningham. I got a lot of reasons, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I just think he's a better player. Being 6'8", being able to create all the bounces at that size, uh, that's just something Jalen Suggs can't do. So, yeah. Mm, give me give me Jalen Suggs, bro. The, the leadership that he provides, I think it's, a, it's on a, a whole nother level. I'm, I'm gonna have to go, Kay Cunningham, bro. The only thing, the only problem I have with Kay Cunningham is that switch, bro. Because sometimes it's off, but he can turn it on immediately. But he's undeniably one of the best players I've seen in college basketball this season, and his ability to take over a game is unmatched, bro. So that's why I gotta rock with uh, Kay Cunningham. He, no, he's a, he's gonna be a problem. He's gonna. I mean, I know we feel like we keep saying this over and over again. I mean, no one, the number one pick in the draft is supposed to be somebody that a, a franchise pillar. But we had some some pretty good ones in the past couple of years with Zion. And, but I mean, it's safe to say that K Cunningham is gonna be another. You think he's bona fide number one pick? I think he's bona fide, bro. Oh, mm. bonafide. I picked him to go to the national championship game. He let me down. But I, I'm not gonna disagree with y'all. I just think I don't. It's something. Jalen Suggs has that that it factor, bro. That makes me want to like be on his team. So talking about you know all these guys with NBA potential who just played in the national championship. Now I want to take a bigger look at the NCAA tournament as a whole and see see who you guys think are the biggest risers as a result of their play in the tournament. I'll go first. I definitely. I want to. Uh, I want to. Say two Baylor guys. I know it gets a little cheating a little bit, but uh, we just talked about Vance described. He Vance said that Jalen Suggs was the best player on the court last night. The best player, the best player on the court last night for me was Macy OT. Um, somebody, somebody that came from a, a HBCU conference, the Big South, UNC Asheville. Macy OT, somebody that uh, averaged twenty-one points a game at the Big South, uh, but he was uh, somebody that, that some, a mid-major transfer. For him to be able to come in, make an instant impact, not only in the championship game, but all season for Baylor, and to do it consistently. Now, I mean, he's, he's a, a good three-point shooter, but to do it off the bounce with the flash, the bad that he did it with, I think that will be able to really impress a lot of NBA scouts in today's game. You know, playmaking and shot creation is key. You know, stuff that Kyrie – basically, Kyrie's highlights go viral every night. So, I think that Maceo T can bring a lot of that excitement and a lot of that bounce in the NBA. And before even his championship game, I don't think that a lot of scouts really took him seriously as an NBA prospect. But, I mean, honestly, now they have no choice. You know yeah. who Macio Tigre reminds me a lot of, bro? Who? Tyrese Halliburton, bro. I don't know why, bro, but I just. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think. I mean, he didn't really play point guard. Bro. Everything. I just, but I knew that's why you said that, and they both like skin. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't think I don't think T really is really a point guard. Honestly, I think he's more of a, a guy. I mean, he he he's the size. I think he's more of a 
I'm point guard size, but I get buckets. Yeah, Halliburton is more of a somebody that I can I play point guard. Yeah, but I mean, that ain't the worst thing you just said. But uh, the other guy I want to talk about, the guy that really impressed me most throughout this season. I just say that I did like Jared Butler, but out of the trio, I would have put him third. Um, Davion Mitchell, um, Big Tail defense player of the year at six three six one. So that's always impressive. Uh, Donovan Mitchell just risked his sponsorship with Adidas to wear his uh, Baylor jersey. <laughs> that's pretty awesome when you do something like that. And um, there's a lot of – it's the reason he just did it because he draws a lot of comparisons with him to his game. Um, sitting out a year, coming from Auburn, he was known as somebody that was going to be able to defend. With that, the struggle to shoot efficiently and create his own shot. And this year, I don't think we still have struggled to do anything of the sort. Um, 16 assists in the Final Four, the most since Darren Williams. That's going to bode well for him. I just saw right when I was looking it up, Fran Fischilla told anybody that was going to do a pre-draft workout with David L. Mitchell to uh, pull a hamstring. So uh, I think that the, a lot of hype is going to come out about him. Not to say that, you know, he didn't. But um, I think college basketball as a whole is just this waning in popularity and things like that with the G League and different things. So uh, not as many eyes on it as, uh, as it used to be. So I think but the national championship will help boost his profile. And I think guys like Fran Fischilla and, you know, no, these, these college analysts, Jeff Goodman's guy like that, will, uh, will put his name in NBA circle. And I think that he'll he, – he he, he'll go to – I think he'll go to the late lottery and still surprise a lot of people, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Davion Mitchell, bro. He got that handle. He can create his own shot, and he can lock down. I think he's going to be a problem at the next level. But for me, the first guy I want to start out with, bro, is a guy that, you know, a lot of people didn't even look at in terms of the NBA. And that's Austin Reeves, shooting guard from Oklahoma, bro. He dropped a big performance against Gonzaga in the round of 32, uh, contributed 27 points in that loss, a game that, you know, Oklahoma was in for a majority of the game. And even though, you know, he's a guard, he operates in the mid-range, which is like a strange thing to me. He shoots 47.8% from the mid-range, but he's only a 30% shooter from three. But, you know, Shoot to shoot, and I think he has the opportunity to become, you know, a good three-point shooter in the NBA because, you know, like I said, he's shooting 47% from mid-range, 86% from the free throw line. So the stroke is there. You know, of course, it's just going to take time to develop. But as a guard, he can create off the dribble. He's crafty. He's not the most athletic guy, but he gets the job done, gets into the lane, and can convert on those pull-up mid-range jumpers. So I think he's a guy that has really jumped and caught the eye of NBA scouts with his performance in the tournament. Although it was only two games, they were really impressive. And I think he has a chance to be a late first-round guy to a second-round guy and maybe contribute on the team that's looking for just that, you know, that bench piece that can score and defend and, you know, just kind of generate offense off the bench. But my second guy that is a big riser from March Madness got to be Johnny Juzang, bro. Johnny Buckets, whatever you want to call him, bro. He was the engine that led. Uh, UCLA on this Final Four run, bro. You think about his journey, you know, going to Kentucky first, only playing 12 minutes a game, and then transferring to UCLA, bro. So this season, he averaged 16 points, four rebounds, and two assists uh, on the regular season. But listen to his point totals in uh, March Madness. 23 points versus Michigan State, 27 versus BYU, 17 versus Abilene Christian, 13 versus Bama, but 28 versus Michigan, and that's number one Michigan, and 29 versus Gonzaga. So two one seeds, he almost reached 30 points, bro. And he showed an ability to create on all three levels and get his shot. And he was able to really shoulder that UCLA offense with his size and versatility and scoring. So 
I think Johnny Juzang, bro, he's definitely – you're looking at a lottery pick in Juzang, I think, just because of his performance in March. No, I definitely, uh, I definitely like Reed's game. A big guard that can still play, has feel for the game. Um, Juzang, I'm not so bullish on. But I definitely like Reed's, and I definitely want to see what a team can do with him. Like, baby Reed, baby Tyreek Evans. I mean, he's white, but it's not a it's, – it's similar size and frame and play style to me. I mean, I could see him have. I could see Reeves having like a Peyton Pritchard type effect. You look at Pritchard, you know, uh, older guard, uh, gets drafted out of Oregon by the Celtics, steps into that bench point guard role and really contributes to that Celtics team in need of you know bench offense. So, I like both you guys' picks, bro. Honestly, I would, if it was originally, I was gonna take Davion Mitchell and Johnny Juzang, but I see uh, both of you guys took them, so. <laughs> First guy I'm going to go with is uh, Villanova big man, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Uh, against Winthrop, you know, he dropped 22, 11 and 6. Once tourney time started, you got to kick it in. That's what stars are made. North Texas, 18, 6 and 6. Against Baylor, he had 8 points and 12 rebounds. And uh, the thing that really impressed me out of all of these things was his assist numbers. You know, they lost, Villanova lost two of their best guards and Colin uh, Gillespie and Justin Moore right before tourney time started, bro. So to get six assists in uh, against Winthrop, six assists against uh, North Texas, just to show that you can control the game from the middle of the court, bro, that's, that's pretty impressive, especially the way the NBA is going now, bro. Everybody has to be a playmaker, bro. You got to be able to shoot and you got to be able to make plays. I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl showed that uh, six, at 6'9", six, 230. Uh, you know, if he approves that three-point ball, bro, it's going to get scary. He can do it anything he wants. Uh, the next guy I'm going to take is uh, the mid-major uh, – the mid-major guy, Max Avis, out of uh, Oral Roberts, you know, against Ohio State. You know, they had it. He was hooping against them. They were sending death threats to the players of Ohio State. <laughs> that's how bad it – that's how ugly it got. 29 points against them. The leading scorer in the NCAA at 24.5 points per game against Florida, you know, SEC power. He dropped 26, bro. You know, and, uh, Trey Mann over there, he was one of the biggest risers, and he did him dirty, 26 on his head. Then against Arkansas, uh, Moses Moody, they had that. They had a Arkansas had a squad, probably the best in the SEC, 25 points in their head. So I just, you know, he reminds me of, he reminds me of CJ McCullum, bro. Just the way he just, he's a bucket getter, bro. No matter what, he's gonna go find that bucket, bro. I like it. I, I if, it, if it's me, I'm drafting him. I, I like your comparison, bro, but I had a better yeah. one, bro, just because of his size, bro. He kind of has that herky jerky game like Isaiah Thomas did, bro. You know, another small guard, bro, gets the job done with the three ball and the quick flashes to the rim, bro. He just reminded me so much of IT4, bro. NFL draft news. My New York Jets have made some waves. We made the waves of fragrance, but. Yeah, my New York Jets. I mean, hello, bro. <laughs> Why you checking me, bro? I'm not. I ain't never heard it in my life. <laughs> Nicky from Memphis. All right, continue. I'm just saying, I'm gonna let y'all get it out, bro. I mean, yeah, I'm. That's all right. I'm good. Uh, the New York Jets have made some uh, some NFL draft news by trading that way that their uh this quarterback Sam Darnold. Um, three years, nothing too impressive. Didn't have the best supporting cast around him, so it'll be um 
It'll be interesting to see what it does in Carolina, honestly. We got uh, – they got was 2021 six-rounder, uh, 2022 second-rounder, some other – two other picks, something like that. So, um, he was the third – he was the third overall pick. So, obviously, not, not getting the first-round back. A first-rounder back would have been the uh, – I guess the goal. But, obviously, you want to better get that back for some subpar quarterback play. Um, So, it looks like that um, they're locked into Zach Wilson. And – I mean, honestly, I would prefer Justin Fields. I mean, Zach Wilson doesn't really look that much different to, uh, from Sam Donald to me, honestly. You know, the numbers – Zach Wilson had pretty similar numbers to Donald's sophomore year. I mean, it's in his junior year before he entered the draft. And uh, Sam Donald won a Rose Bowl. You know, Zach Wilson couldn't be called to Carolina. So, that was – that's um, pretty concerning. But, um. Yeah, do y'all? I mean, obviously y'all are already clowning me, but do y'all have any uh, legitimate thoughts to say anything to add? Yeah. So, uh, one thing with me, bro, talking about how bad the Jets are, not only as a football team but as a franchise, bro. Sam Donald is the sixth consecutive first round pick the Jets have traded, bro. It's like they get young talent, bro, and they ship it right off, bro. You look at Sheldon Richardson, uh, safety Calvin Pryor, Leonard Williams, Darren Lee, Jamal Adams, and now uh, Sam Donald, bro. That's a lot of first-round talent that you're giving up on very early, bro. And so, but looking at Sam Donald, bro, I think he has a chance to really flourish in Carolina. Uh, you look at, you know, what he did in New York, 13-25 and 25 as a starter, 45 touchdowns only, 39 interceptions, and only completing around 60% of his passes. But when you take it into context, bro, it's not that bad. You look at it, he's played three years under two head coaches, two different offensive systems. And he's never had a thousand yard receiver or a thousand yard rusher. And the offensive line was a revolving door. Now he's stepping into a situation in Carolina where his mobility and arm talent can really shine as he's playing with offensive playmakers such as Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, who he played with in New York previously, and DJ Moore, bro. So I think he can have really a bounce back season and show what he's really capable of in the NFL and an established franchise. I, I'm gonna agree with Nick on this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Sam Donald wasn't given the proper opportunity to be the quarterback for the New York Jets. When you think about the quarterbacks they have gone through, a whole b- bunch of has beens a whole bunch of washed up players, bro. Sam Donald was a fresh face on a new team, bro, and he was actually pretty deep for the Jets, bro. Without having any protection, you know, he had a few good, decent wide receivers in Crowder, Robbie Anderson. Man, I think she would have been his best chance to shine. He would just now they just signed Corey Davis. They was gonna uh have an offensive line, you know, finally protect him. But uh, you know, it, it really just depends on if the Jets hit or miss on this uh pick. Now it's the hit and who's the miss, that's to be determined, bro. We won't know until about maybe two or three years from But I will say though, I don't blame the Jets on moving on from uh Sam Donald. Because you think about it, bro, it's a whole new era in New York. You bring in Robert, Robert Sala as your new head coach, bro. You want him to start fresh with who he wants at center. So uh, if this is the path the Jets take, like Van said, it depends on who they take in number two and how how who they take develops over the course of his New York Jets career. I mean, I have no problem with y'all saying that uh, we gave up a hit too early. Um, like I, I still, I still think that Justin Fields will be the, the second best quarterback in this draft after uh, Trevor Lawrence. But um, I mean, well, it'll be interesting to see what what uh, Zach Wilson can do with what's supposed to be Sam Donald's weapons. That's facts. And I also think, bro, you look at Carolina. 
they got the number eight pick in the draft too, bro. And so with San Francisco trading into that top three and they're potentially going to take a quarterback, that frees Carolina up to take whoever the best player available is. And if somehow Kyle Pitts falls into their hands, bro, that's going to be a very dangerous offense in Carolina, bro. I just want to say watch out for that. They might not be making moves because they still got Bridgewater. You got two quarter. I mean, they might keep them. Who knows? You're not having a QB battle and just kill them. But we'll see. Yeah, but I mean, they did say they were going to work with Teddy B on whatever his future was to be, whether he wants to be traded, whether he wants to compete for the job, because you got to think they just signed him to a three-year, $63 million deal last year. So obviously they had some faith in him, but I think it will be interesting to see what they do with Teddy B, and if they do move him, what they bring back in return. Okay, I want to see what the how, what kind of return they – what kind of bite they get on that contract, because that's starting QB money right there, yeah. at least for that amount of time. That's facts, bro. And I, I mean, in all fairness to Teddy, bro, some things were out of his control, bro. But he played a pretty decent season for what you'd expect him to do, bro. He missed some games, yeah. But I think he had a solid, you know, a solid run this year. And I could see it. I could see a number of teams potentially making a move at Teddy B to bring in competition. You look at Chicago, you look at Houston. There are teams, you look at Miami even, there are teams that could need, that could use some quarterback help in terms of depth or just to bring in competition. I think Teddy B fits that role perfectly. I just got a question for Josh, bro. What's up? Do you actually like sit down on a couch and eat food and watch Jets games? When I had the ability, how does that work? I do. Man. Next segment, man, I'm going to cut that man out. I ain't type of way. So, of course, another episode of No Cap Sports, another segment of Game Balls, man. I'm going to start it off as always. I got to give my ball to Kyrie, the sage burning Irving. You know what I'm saying, man? He really turned up, you know, in a, in a Nets-Knicks rivalry game, dropping 40 points with two rebounds and seven assists, bro. He was doing things with a basketball brother that would have been illegal if James Naismith was still alive, bro. I'm talking about crossing over, bro. I, I just – I was just watching it, bro. It's like poetry in motion, bro. Like, you really can't stop Kyrie when he gets in that mode, bro. It's like he does things with a basketball, bro. That's like – you just got to sit back and watch, bro. He's a Harlem Globetrotter playing NBA basketball, bro. And so, for that, bro, he gets my game ball, bro. Best point guard in the NBA? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, second base. I forgot about Captain Clutch, Mike Conley. Oh. Okay. That's I, yeah. I'm going to let you ride with that one, bro. <laughs> he don't play for the Grizzlies anymore, bro. You don't got to do that for <laughs> I was just about to say, you know, that's not, that's not our guy anymore, Nick. Like, he's supposed to be saying Joss. Somebody said Mike Conley. He still is better than this. Mass Mamba. I die on that hill. No cap, bro. I die on that hill. They on the same level. <laughs> All right, bro. But, you know, to get, keeping up with the, with the Easter spirit, bro, the spirit of Easter, bro. I'm going to talk about Revival, and uh, this program is going to get my game ball for the Revival this past weekend. That's going to be UCLA, bro. You know, they got Mick, Mick Cronin. You know, that's an A-plus hire, bro. Mm-hmm. Mick Cronin is the perfect guy to bring a, a program back to relevancy. 
And uh, they uh, revived Johnny uh, Juzang's uh, NBA career, bro. I think he went from, you know, maybe first round getting drafted. You know, he definitely would have got drafted. But I think now, as long as he have a, a nice little uh, pro day, then he gonna, he's definitely going to uh, be lottery, a lottery pick, bro. I like what I saw. And UCLA, they're they going to be here to come. They got Amari Bailey coming in next season, you know, bonafide top five uh, recruit. Mick Cronin, you know, he has them hooping. UCLA is back on top. I like it. You know, Mick Cronin coming from a, a program like Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Ohio is a lot different from Los Angeles, California. <laughs> but I apparently brought his toughness and that intensity with him to, uh, to the LA. So that was good. My game ball, I got, I'm going to give it to a fellow, a, a former HBCU attending graduate, Davion Warren. Um, back, uh, run off of the, of the Big South Player of the Year, just averaged 21 points a game in, uh, in the Big South Conference for Hampton. And he's the first, uh, hopefully, many commitment for uh, Memphis basketball, Penn Hardaway. So 6'6", 2'10", somebody that had uh, several D1 entries coming out of high school, was a three-star guy. So hopefully, you know, somebody, I'm sorry, as I said, as an HBCU graduate, because he'll graduate from Hampton in December, then head to, uh, to campus in May. Um, hopefully he can bring uh, some of that punch that we needed. Something like we got, a, we had a lot of success with Leonard Nolly out of the portal last year. So hopefully, you know, uh, Davion can duplicate that success coming from the HBCU. Quick game ball to Nick Hayes also. You know, uh, they had a voting at Millsaps College. Uh, well, what did you win again, Nick? Exactly. Let us know. Director of Operations. Direct, executive Director of Programming, bro. In charge of all boys, the next time. Stop, stop playing with that boy. Feisty coming to Jackson, Mississippi soon, bro. No cap. Big <laughs> So with that, man, that's another episode of No Cap Sports in the Books, man. Appreciate y'all for tuning in, checking us out. Make sure y'all like, comment, subscribe, man. And, you know, as always, bro, stay safe. And we out of here. Do the thing. Drink line, drink line.